0: you are listening to Lead to Soar, bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Michelle and Amal, welcome to the Lead to Soar podcast.
1: Well, I'm just thrilled to be here with Amal. And Amal, I hope you're thrilled to be here with us.
2: I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me and so excited for the next, I would say, few minutes or few hours that we're going to spend together. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: unlike a lot of podcasts, we don't go on for hours. We do try and keep it under an hour. Amal
0: has joined us as a host inside a career that soars. And we wanted to take some time for this episode to showcase Amal, introduce her and start to get into some of the fantastic perspective and advice that she's bringing to our organization. So Amal, Thank you, first of all, for sharing the time to do this. And I'd like to start by just asking you to give us a high level sort of timeline of what your career has looked like.
2: Sure. So when I think about the last, I would say 15, 20 years of of my career, right, I started initially on the nonprofit side of the world as a social services caseworker, helping resettle refugees into the city of Clarkston, Atlanta, Georgia, where I live, helped resettle the first Lost Boys of Sudan, the first wave of Iraqis, and sort of went through, I would say, an amazing journey, helping women, girls, boys, men start a new life and sort of a new chapter of their lives in the U.S. After that, I went back to school and decided to pursue a path in business. I've always been someone who was interested in business growing up. I have a mother who was a businesswoman that pursued, sort of went away from her education in law and decided to be a successful businesswoman. So I've always had, I think, the business bug in me, decided to open a business. And it was really a bet where some men thought that I was not going to be able to open a business and thrive. And so opened a business with very little money, owner operator of a trucking company, and made my husband one of the truck drivers. (laughs) And at this point, I was pregnant. And I remember the day when I was getting my DOT inspection, I was in labor. And um, I had waited many months for that inspection. So I was not about to let the guy get away without giving me my certificate. So I sat through it with the pangs of contractions and got my license and um, had a successful business (laughs) is what I'm going to call it. My son was lucky I didn't call him trucker and decided to uh, pursue several businesses after that. And all of them successful businesses, I always looked for opportunities in the market, including real estate investments with the crash of the real estate market in 2008, 2009. And at some point, again, I think my life is full of bets of people saying you can't do it and me saying I'm going to do it. Decided to start a career in corporate America. And at the time, obviously, I am originally from East Africa, a child of war, who left home at the age of nine, had to learn Arabic, which became a second language when I lived in Egypt. And then again, English becoming a third language. And I've never had dreams of being, you know, able to even knock on the door of a corporation, let alone, you know, be employed in one. Lucky enough to have started um, a Delta Airlines, which obviously it's the airline of choice in Atlanta. So of course, that's where you would start. And <laughs> I- I'm going to give you a glimpse of my first day um, with the company. I am not. I know that people think because I'm from Africa that I love animals. I'm very scared and terrified of anything that has the name cat or dog or anything attached to an animal. And my first job at Delta was as a, um, with the pet program. <laughs> so My job was to transport pets in between flights. And I remember telling my husband, if they bring a dog through the door, I will quit this job. And so that was my promise to my husband every morning as I went to, to my job for the first six months. <laughs> and, then, and I survived it. And I've been with the company almost 12 years now. <laughs> Luckily, I left that job in six months in transition. But first six months have definitely seen a lot of ups and downs and, you know, pythons traveling the world and hissing inboxes and me hiding upstairs and acting like I was not working that day.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. What a great snapshot of who you are, Amal. I mean, you've come from another country. I mean, you started a business in a very male-dominated space, and you didn't let anyone stop you. And now, you know, you've made the transition to the corporate world. Talk to us a little about that. I mean, you had success as an entrepreneur what was it like to go from entrepreneur to working for, especially, you know, a big corporation like Delta?
2: You know, I've always struggled with, when you own your own business, you sort of feel like you're the owner of your destiny, right? You make decisions that impact your life, right? And when you work for, an organization, I sort of struggled with the day-to-day decision, somebody else telling you what to do, me not understanding how I connected or my story connected to the story of the organization. And for the longest time, that's what I looked for. I asked a lot of questions and a lot of why are we doing this? I was lucky enough to have had leaders who told me, well, you're not going to get the answer here. You need to go move to this department, right? So I worked in the airport, let's say, and I would ask, why are we booking This passenger on the first flight of the day, they only paid like this much for their ticket. And they would say, to get the answer, you would need to go work here. Right. And so made my way from one job to the next and one department to the next, trying to understand how my role fit into the greater um, organization. And I think my business mind is what kept me asking the why every single time. And if I didn't have that business curiosity, I don't think I would be where I am today, right? I would have been happy just being stagnant and sort of being happy, being told, clock in at five o'clock, you know, come in at three o'clock and leave at this time. Um, So I would say the transition was not an easy transition. I was not happy. And I had a mentor who told me the only way you would be happy in corporate is to find a niche or find a space for yourself that you would be able to treat as your own business and innovate it and, and build it up from the ground. And I've I've strived to do that through all the positions that I've had. Hey, Amal, it, you and I have talked about this
1: before when uh, we were on career Q&A, but you've described perfectly that saying that that we say, or that Susan wrote about in No Ceiling in the Walls that we talk about all the time in a career that soars, which is leadership. When you are seen as a leader, uh, you are for the business uh, and you act like a passionate business owner. I think what's really interesting for our listeners around you making that transition from entrepreneur into corporate because, of course, so many women in particular make the transition from corporate into entrepreneur, myself included. But that advice that you got from that mentor is so, so spot on. And I guess where I'm going with this is, and Mel and I were having a chat about this earlier today, there's this talk at the moment around the great resignation. So many people really are after almost two years in a global pandemic, really evaluating their lives, evaluating their jobs, their bosses, and and, and this kind of stuff. And many are making choices to move on. And I suppose your advice there, Amal, around how do I find the spot where I belong? Because, you know, Great organization, going places, um, steady job, you know, all, all the stuff that employee value proposition that goes with working for an organization like Delta. And no, Delta is not paying for this podcast. So it's not a free plug, but you know, it's a great organization. So how did you find the place? What, what were your, the steps that you undertook, particularly your mindset around going, okay, so this is a great company. I can find the job where I can scratch my entrepreneurial itch. How did you go about that? So
2: I think you have to stop thinking about, this is the job that I applied for, and this is the only job that I can do here, right? I think you need to start thinking about, even if the job doesn't exist today, what job do you want to do? Like, I had to find what I was passionate about. And even if that means that job doesn't exist at Delta today, I can create the job, right? So for those people that are out there, I would say, if your job is not available today in your company, it doesn't mean that you have to leave the company. It just means that you need to create that job in the company, right? Like there is a saying, I think that a lot of us hear that says, you know, more women need to see, or more girls need to see women that look like them in positions of power. So they they can start imagining themselves in those positions, But if there was never like, let's say I'm going to give you an example. Let's say Amal is the first black female president of the United States. Right. I'm going to put it out there in the universe. If 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 the idea here is that Amal has to wait for someone who looks like her to become the first president, then Amal will never become president. Right. There is an opportunity that that might not happen. So the way I look at it is why don't you become the first one? Why do you have to wait for someone that looks like you to become the first one? And, and I think that's sound advice. The way I look at it is, why are you waiting for that position to be created for you to fill it? you go ahead and create the the, the position. And I think that's what I've done in many of the roles, right? I've looked at jobs that said, hey, here is the job that we have. And I said, okay, in order for me to do this job or for for this job to be a fit for my skills, I need to add A, B, and C. Does that work? And I think a lot of people then start seeing the value in you. And at some point people are going to reach out and say, hey, I want to build this program How would you build it? And then they give you ownership to then build it and make it your own.
1: So if you and I were working in the same organization, Amal, and you came to me and said, this is the job that I want to do. And I said, but that doesn't exist. How would you make the business case for me?
2: Number one, I'd find the need for the business. I would find how would it benefit the business? I would go benchmark and see if that job exists anywhere else within another company. I would do this research and I would build the business document that would tell the compelling story on not only why the business should create that opportunity or that role for me but I would tell you why I would be able to create a return of investment a return on investment not only within three years or even five years I would do it why I would I can do it in one year right because again when you think about the leaders in the organization we are in the business of generating revenue and helping create new customers so your job really or your new role has to be either bringing in return on investment you have to be you know customer acquisition you have to be bringing something in for the business. So do your research, you know, find out what you're bringing into the table and come in with a strong case that says, here is the value proposition that I bring in. If you give me this role or you create this role, this is why the company would benefit. 100%.
1: And I've got to tell you, listeners... We've given Amal no prep documents for this podcast. So she's just, this is truly authentic. Yeah. So be for the business. What are the key business outcomes? What is the business's strategic and financial goals? And how am I going to meet it by this job, by the stuff that I do? Because I know you have had a significant impact on the Delta Women's Network. And I suspect it's because of your entrepreneurial flair and the fact that you've focused on those, those business outcomes. But tell us about the Women's Network and how important that can be for for a woman's career?
2: Absolutely. So I have been involved with the business resource group and we call the Women's Business Resource Group at Delta SHE. Again, it doesn't stand for acronyms. It's literally SHE. And when I started with SHE in 2018, I was vice president and I was promoted to president this year. And when we first started, we had four people right serving as an officer we had a vice president a president and a treasurer and a communications officer and when i came on board really the task was to move the business resource group from a networking platform to a business value adding organization and i was very excited about that because my thought were there's a lot of women at Delta who are doing some great things and we're adding value to the business and all we need to do is showcase that and not only that we want to create a, a network or a platform for those women to connect and share best practices, right? But I realized that four women could not do that alone. And I also knew that we needed to engage what I call the he in the she, right? We needed some more male in the network. So I reached out to my network and I said, hi, would you like to become a part of my team? And no, it's, you know, I'm not paying you any money. And all you get to have is my pretty face every now and then asking you to do stuff for free. Thank you very much. And I would hang up the call and call the next person. <laughs> and I was lucky enough that nobody said no. Nobody hung up the phone in my
1: I wouldn't say no to you either. That That's just, that's a compelling offer, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was lucky enough. I have 15 wonderful leadership team now for Sheep. We focused on specific pillars, like leadership development, strategy and planning. We have an engagement team, we have a partnerships team and sort of started developing what we want to see. What does she need to look like in the future? And it's given us an opportunity to really focus on what I think women need and usually miss, right? The opportunity to hone business, financial and strategic acumen and use it in a way that is advantageous to the business, but in a way that helps you grow not only you know, professionally, but also personally.
1: I want to wrap that up with a beautiful orange colored bow because orange is our color. But what I heard there was the Delta She Network is a business resource group. So it it's actually about creating value for the organization. So that was number one. And I think you shifting that to the front of the, I guess, the priority queue in terms of why do we exist. Number two, you used your engaging the greatness in others and your personal greatness to, to bring on board the right people, the right others, to, to, to make it fly. But I think the third one is this is clearly an opportunity for someone who has your entrepreneurial mindset, now an entrepreneurial mindset, to flex those muscles in an organisation. And there's a win-win-win. There's a win for you because you're getting to do stuff. So if we think about the first part of our conversation, you're getting to do stuff that excites you, which is building and growing that entrepreneurial stuff. It's a win for the organisation because, hey, this is an employee network with teeth, which is really going to deliver some outcomes, particularly in relation to employee value proposition for women. And then the third winner, of course, is the women of Delta because they're starting to get at access to a strategic network that's going to help them with skill building, including strategic networking, including profile raising. So win, win, win. So women's networks have got a bad rap in the past. And I think it's because I know because they haven't been strategic. They haven't had this kind of discipline that you've applied to it. But it's a a great story about how you can scratch your entrepreneurial itch, build your leadership skills and profile, but also benefit the business and other people in the business. What do you think, Matt?
0: love to have an entire episode in the future on women's resource groups or women's networks in the workplace and kind of really break down some of that because I've seen what you talked about where it's kind of like a thing off to the side like you ladies go over there and have some tea you know I think we could with Amal's help really share some actionable advice for what to do right
1: I I totally agree and certainly the clients that I've worked with where they've said we want to set up a women's Network as part of our diversity, equity and inclusion strategy, this is the advice you've got to be strategic about. It's it got to have a vision. It's got to have measurable outcomes, but they are such powerful, powerful groups. So for the leaders listening, if your women's network is not yet looking like she is at Delta, it needs to because it's going to deliver lots of outcomes, not least of which is a sense of engagement and belonging from women and particularly women who might identify as different from the homogenous or that the dominant force in the organisation, but it's also going to deliver some real value in terms of the bottom line, a retention, attraction, and things like that. But I think the thing that often gets missed, which I advise both leaders and and leaders of, of women's networks, is this is a great opportunity to run diagnostics and to get lived you know, get an insight into the lived experience of women in the organisation, and therefore should be consulted for policy development, policies and strategy. Changes, things like that. So they're hugely powerful done right. Let's do that, Mel.
2: Absolutely. I think one of the big things that we always say is we are internal Delta customers, right? Like we fly on the planes, we are businesswomen who have our hand on the pulse, right? I have 4,000 members of Sheep that can give insights into the business that can tell you, maybe from a customer standpoint, even what, what's working, what's not working. So we have a focus group, a small focus group that we can tap into. And and the value of men, right? The first thing that I was I was shocked with were that men were saying this is a women's group. I have nothing to say here. And I, why would I participate? And I was like, pull a seat. For the first time, we are going to allow you a seat at the table. Come on. <laughs> right? And then you realize that they do have perspective and we want them at the table, right? And and that's where they also start to feel comfortable that they have a voice at the she table. And why not?
1: Well, engaging the male allies is, put bluntly, men still hold power all over the world. So they have to be part of the solution, but they also have to have the empathy and understand what the lived experience is of women so that they can start adjusting the way that their mindsets, their approach, and the things that get done or not in the organization. There's no better way to do that.
0: I'd like to draw our listeners' attention to something that Amal was saying a moment ago. So Amal, when you described how you would approach Michelle's hypothetical question of if you wanted to create this job for yourself, how would you do it? You immediately went to what Susan Colantuno describes in No Ceiling, No Walls, in the Think Like a CEO chapter. You You went to our pyramid of growth, cash, return with our customer in the middle. So I wanted to highlight that. I thought that was amazing. And, you know, what I want to ask you next is you have expressed that you have this real growth mindset, especially about yourself and your own capabilities. And that came out when you talked about the businesses that you started and when you were describing this way of creating new roles for yourself inside an organization. I wonder if you could tell us about your mindset and where do you think it comes from? I imagine you've thought about
2: this. You know, I've, I've asked myself often, you know, why don't you just settle down, sit down and settle down? <laughs> and if you ask my team even, and they were telling me this the other day, I use sit down a lot, right? And I think it's by way of saying, calm down. I think my mind races at 360 miles an hour at all times. And the way I look at things is that there's always a better way of doing something. And I have learned that we should never be happy with the status quo, right? We shouldn't accept that something is okay because someone said it was okay. I think I'm one of those people I get motivation out of knowing that I can do something the right way in a simpler way. It's not about complicating life. I believe in simplifying processes. And actually, you know, in my team right now, um, I work in HR, and we use a sentence, which I think it sums up maybe Amal's life in, in the most perfect of ways. And, and our mission is simplifying, modernizing, and humanizing the employee experience. And to me, I think if I was to put my life mission on a piece of paper, that would be it. So I'm always looking for ways to simplify the processes. You modernize the technology and sort of innovate on on the current processes and not be happy with, oh, we always did it in an Excel. Now we have to continue to do it in Excel. And then you humanize the experience because you are always Any decision you make, you have to understand the impact on your customer and the impact on your employees. And if that impact is not the right impact, then the modernizing and the simplifying doesn't really matter. So I think that's what I always keep at the forefront. Like, what is the impact of your decisions on your customers and your employees? Is it humanizing the experience? And if it's not, then... How do you simplify and modernize so that it's doing that?
1: Amal, you and I talked about the fact that it would be much easier to be a contented person, but how do you challenge the status quo? Let's go there. So you're a woman of colour, so you're a black African American woman, and you've talked about the fact that there there are different levels of blackness in America, but there is no doubt that advice given to someone like me, middle-aged and white. Versus the same advice given to you, younger and black, about challenging the status quo isn't necessarily going to be good advice for you. So how does someone from a minority group challenge the status quo
2: and be safe? That's a very interesting question. I think it's a question that a lot of, I would say, women of colour struggle with. And I say women, minority, and I maybe even not women. I think a lot of minorities struggle with, right?
1: And for the record, I struggle with minority and I struggle with diversity or a diverse high because I want to be really clear. Minority doesn't mean it's not pejorative. and it's, For me, it says, we just don't have enough of you represented there are too many of me and not enough of you. And I think a woman who is diverse, I mean diverse from me. Now, when I'm in Malaysia and walking around in Kuala Lumpur in a, in a shopping center, I'm actually the diverse hire, right? Because I'm tall and white and well, whatever color my hair is at that point, I, I am the diversity person, you know? So it's it's relative. So I just
2: I want to really clarify that. So, so minority in terms of not, there's not too many of you in that room, right? I think the word that you said that resonated with me is safe. And, and a lot of times... When you are trying to challenge the status quo, you have to be uncomfortable and there is really not room for a lot of safety. You have to be willing to stand up for what's right, what you believe to be right. But I think there is a way of doing that. I think what what I find a lot of times, and I get this all the time, like I am someone who is assertive, but I am not someone who is going to get in your face and raise my voice to make a point because I don't need to do that. So... A lot of times when it's about challenging the status quo, what I do is I do my research. I try to understand why are we, what do we do today? What are the maybe success stories of today? What are the opportunities that we have of how we do things today? How can we do it better? And then what are the outcomes if we do it this way? I think everybody is interested in making the business better and then receiving or creating better outcomes for the business, whether that is an increase in revenue, whether whether that is a reduction in how many days we handle a specific case, if we create, and that creates a better experience. So a lot of times what I try to do is I do a lot of research into why we do things a certain way. And then I put my time into that. And then I think I try to find people that I call supporters and allies. It's like when you're going to war, You get your supporters and you get your allies and you sort of are building a small army of people that think the same way that you do and that agree with you. And eventually what you'll find is that there are more people that agree with you, that agree that the system needs to be updated, that we need to do things better, that we need to do better for our employees. And then the ones who are maybe challenging it are not that many. So I would say you have to be very strategic about how you approach things. And, and sometimes is there some politics that needs to be you know included in there? Is there some diplomacy and some negotiation skills that you need to to develop? Absolutely you have to do that. And that come that's part of being a businesswoman. So I deploy the skills that I see as the, that I see necessary so that I can get my message across without being belligerent, without being disrespectful, without, you know, being strong minded and saying this is my way and or, or the highway. I don't need to go that route. And maybe that's not my communication style. And, and like I said, I find that you win a lot with honey. And so I smile sometimes and I'm nice about it, but I can say no and say no in a nice way.
1: I think the key takeout for me there is that I understand that the preparation and being strategic and bringing on board allies is is incredibly important. And I think that that's useful for most people. And I think it's very useful for women in general. However, what I really wanted to pick up on is the fact that you have to stop and prepare. So for the allies listening, for the leaders who have got minority groups in their teams and who they they think I haven't really heard from a male lately, or I wonder what a male's thinking about this. Be that ally, I guess. Be that sounding board for her to be able to to bounce ideas off, but also for them to make that space, that safe space for ideas to be challenged. Have you got an example of a leader who's done that for you, and and how they went about it?
2: You know, there is a phrase that one of my bosses used, my my old boss, and she she said it's it's like psychological safety. So creating a space where I can share my ideas safely without fear of repercussions. And I didn't understand what she meant by that at the time. And I was like, so you want me to just give you my honest opinion? It's like, I can do that. And at the time, even if that decision is to tell her that you've created a process and that process just delivered an ugly baby. And be okay with that. And she probably would look at me and say, you just insulted my baby. And I'm like, okay, that's not what I meant, right? But in in context, that's what you're saying. That you have put in this time, creating a process that is not working. And so she said, okay, go ahead and tell me why you think so. And, And I did. And then understanding that, OK, how do you then take that message and then present it to someone that was in a senior position? And I remember at the time realizing what psychological safety meant, because it was not only an opportunity. She didn't give me the opportunity to come in and say what I really thought, which was telling her some seriously brutal fact right i came in and i told her that this whole thing was not working it was an opportunity for her to i call this pressure wash my theories right i came in and i gave, she gave me an opportunity to pres- present my case and she poked hole at everything that i came up with and then i had to learn that okay if she says that i need to come up with an answer here if she said this i need an answer here and i think as leaders if if there's anything that you take away from from what i've said today I think there's two things that I would like to mention. One is when you are dealing with team members who are different than you. And when I say different than you, I mean in experiences and in skill sets and in even growth paths, right? They have not taken the same path you took to get to where they where you are. Take a moment to truly listen. Do not listen to respond as their leader. Take a moment to listen to their experiences before you give them advice or thoughts or coach them on what they should do. Right? Take the time to just listen. And the second thing is take, give them the opportunity to come up with a solution because that's what coaching is all about, right? You're not providing them the answers. You're telling them, okay, you came up with a theory. Go ahead and tell me what solutions you provide. And when they come back, give them honest feedback about what they came back with. Go ahead and poke the holes that you know, your leaders and senior leaders will, will poke holes at. Do not put them in a position where they go into that meeting and have, you know, their theory trashed, Be that advisor for
1: them. I like the pressure washing analogy. The ability to, I I think anyone can have a pot shot at any idea, right? You know, we can go, oh, that's complete rubbish, but we know that great career advice is learning to challenge the status quo or the idea. Uh, In in football parlance, it's play the ball, not the player. And it's it's about saying a better way to do that, Amal, for our customers might be X, Y, Z. So linking it to the organization's strategic and financial goals, linking it to cash growth return customer. So I think what she was doing was two things. Number one, as you said, creating that psychological safety to say, come on in, let me have it but I'm going to give it right back, but also coaching you and teaching you to stand behind your ideas. One of the best things I learned when I was doing debating at high school was if you're going to put an idea forth. You've got to be able to stand up and back it up and not with, you know, um, rhetoric and, 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 and BS. You've got to be able to say, I stand behind this comment because it links to XYZ facts and data. So a really great coaching piece from that leader. And again, two call outs, one for leaders, create the psychological safety, create those spaces where you can have your ideas challenged by your team. One of the one of our recent episodes with Sheila Flavelle, she talked about the fact that when you get very, very senior uh, and important in organizations, often people are telling you what they think you want to hear. So make it really, really, evident to your people I want to hear the brutal truths as as you've called it so that that's number 1 and then the second part is for our leaders who are going to go and challenge the status quo. There's a way of doing that, and the way to do that is to say, "Hey, I've got a better way," and it's linked to X, Y, Z. But also, I, I think the fact that you've engaged the greatness in 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 the other in 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 your leader. So, yeah, great example. What do you think, Mel?
0: So, I just wondered if you could share with us why you decided to join us as a
2: leader inside a career that sources. Sure. So. I think for me, I believe that Susan's TED Talk changed my career pathing, right? I listened to it in 2015 and I've sort of been on a different journey since. And I feel that I owe it to the women who are maybe stuck in, in, in the same place that I was stuck in, where I felt like I was putting 120% in in terms of performance, but something was missing. And I had an aha moment. And, and sometimes, remember, I can, you can listen to a TED Talk 25,000 times and read 50,000 books. You, you don't get the aha moment, right? So I feel like I've been lucky enough where that TED Talk on that specific day for Amal made sense, And it resonated with me. And then when I read the book, I was like, oh, my God, this is exactly what I'm missing. And this is what I need to pursue. And ever since that time, I've made sure that I told women, here is what you need to know. And so when I found this network of women, and I would say a global network of women, because it's not just women in the U.S., it's not just women in Australia, it's not just women in South Africa, it's women from, you know, all around the world. Any woman who feels like she needs a space, who's a businesswoman, And and a businesswoman is not just an entrepreneur. It's any woman who is, you know, driving a business in any capacity can join, can invest in yourself, right? I was ready to invest in myself, we have a premium membership. And I promise you the money that you spend on that premium membership, you probably spend at a Starbucks or at an outing with the kids, if you're in the US at Chick-fil-A, and you owe yourself that level of investment. And to have these this network of women where you can come and ask questions and hear the different perspectives of women, number one was was critical for me. So I I am so happy to have found the network. So that that is number one. Number two, you realize that there are a lot of women who want the support, who want the advice. I think as women, what you realize, we put ourselves last. This is not just in terms of you know, career development and sort of advancement. You also see this in health, right? You book yourself, you book an appointment, your kids are a priority. You book their appointment first. Your husband is a priority. Your mom and dad are a priority. And then when it comes to your own doctor's appointments, you don't do it. So unfortunately, I think what I struggle with is a lot of women do not take the steps needed. And that's where I think this network is important because it proves that if you put in the time and you take the investment and you invest in yourself, you can grow. The third thing that I think... I'm trying to gain is, is is sort of two ways I'm trying to understand from your perspective because you are women who are different than me right you think different than me and you have experiences that are different than me I'm trying to understand from you what challenges have you faced in your careers that maybe I can learn from that I have not faced that I cannot relate to because again I see things from my own experiences and sort of the lens of my own experiences. And, and many times I feel like my plight and my challenges are the only challenges that women face. And that's not true. Then when you look at the other side of that mirror then or that coin, I want to give you the opportunity to see challenges from my point of view, right? Like the challenges that I face as a uh, an African woman from East Africa, an immigrant, a, a Muslim woman, um, an implant to the United States, an alien. That's what, what my resident card say, the resident alien. I'm so still an alien in some ways. Again, like I have so many different definitions of myself that I, every time somebody has a bias against me, if I freak out, then I would never, I'd never be out of my house, right? So give you guys an opportunity to also see maybe and help you pivot some thoughts that you have and help you support women and lead women in a different way. Because unfortunately, what I see is that women struggle with how they can lead or how they can mentors or how they can coach women who are not um, like them, women who are different than them.
1: So much in there to, to talk about. I, just, I was laughing at alien. The first time I went to the United States, I had to get in the alien queue at the passport control. I went, what is that about? Then I realized I'm an alien. Psychological safety, we've already talked about the role of that, creating that in leadership. We have worked really hard at creating a psychologically safe place for women from all walks of life to share and to learn and to connect in in a career that soars. And you've talked about that, Amal, and some of that is around seeing a diverse range of women who are the leaders in the group yourself, Teresa, Susan, Mel, myself. I I guess one of the things, so one of my experiences as a white woman, as a white leader, is being able to better understand and empathise with the experience of women who are not like me, who don't have the same advantages and privileges as me. I'm not representative here because clearly I do this work every single day of my life, so I spend a lot of time in developing and what have you. But there's some tricky territory that leaders have to navigate and saying, how do I learn? about the experience of I'm a black African woman, I'm an immigrant, I'm an alien to the US, I, I'm a woman. You know, all these layer upon layer of difference. How do I learn about your experience? This is the beauty of being able to share in, in our platform and learn from someone like you, because you're going put it out there, right? It is there for all of us to learn from. What we don't want to do is, is put the burden on someone who identifies with those layers like you do to explain what it's like. So I want to do the work and I want to learn but how do I do that? This is what we're trying to create is this richness of a diverse range of experiences being shared, of knowledge and wisdom, you know, knowledge bombs as one of our members, Bronwyn calls them knowledge bombs coming in into the group because there's a way for me to ask and challenge the status quo, but there's a way for you to ask and challenge the status quo and they're different because we are different and we are going to have different reactions because I'm white and you're black.
0: You know, one of the, the reasons that we're so happy to have you in the group is because of your different perspective. And you talked about this a little bit in the career Q&A, and I'd love for you to expound more on the fact that not all career advice for women works for all women. So there are cases where it's not going to be the same for a woman of color. Could you talk a little bit about that?
2: Sure, absolutely. I'm going to touch on something Michelle said first, and, and then I'll segue into that. So when I think about or when I found Lead to Soul, right, and sort of found this network of women, I thought about a bird. If a bird is soaring, right, you're going up in the sky, and even an airplane, it doesn't do that on its own, right? There's so many things that come together to sort of create that lift. For a bird, let's say it's the wings, and it's the air, and it's everything coming together in the right space. When you think about yourself as a member of this community, I think you need to think about it as a true community, a safe space for you to be humble to show some humility and to truly share your weaknesses more than your strengths, because we are here to uplift each other in order for us to help you soar and get to that next level. You need to be comfortable enough to say, Hey, I need help with this or, hey, here's my perspective, what you guys think, right? The way I look at this network or this platform that we've created is that we have so many opportunities to make human connections. And through human connections, we learn about each other and we build these cycles of trust or these circles of trust. And that's where you learn about other people. You have opportunities to come and ask me anything that you want to ask me about. Come and ask me about my experiences, whether that's in corporate America or whether that's in business. And that's where you learn about my why. And I think that's what's important. You understanding somebody's why. You having enough humility, take the opportunity to listen to the somebody's story and connecting with that person on a human level will help you understand why they do things the way that they do. And and this is true in business more than even in personal, right? Because when you go into a business meeting, if you understand, if you go in there thinking, oh, I understand what these people are talking about. I'm just going to go in there and pitch. A lot of times you you have to understand the why. And so treat this network as an opportunity for you to learn from these wonderful women, their stories, and those stories are going to teach you more than anything else. So there is one thing that we always say, right? As a woman, take a seat at the table. We're all waiting for that table. And I'm trying to find the seat at the table. And if you can't find the seat at the table, pull one up for your friend and be assertive, raise your voice. And as as a woman of color, a lot of times that then comes with, oh, she is too assertive. She's too aggressive. You know, she's labeled the angry Black woman. And so that advice really does not support or doesn't help me as a Black woman. The advice we give women has to be tailored advice because you have to then change that advice of, you know, take a seat at the table. Then what? Instead of seeing why do I need to be assertive once I have a seat at the table? The advice should be take a seat at the table. And now that you have the seat at the table, make sure you know your business. Do your research, understand the business of your business, come prepared and take a pause and listen. Because a lot of times, I think, we forget to listen. We feel like we need to come to the table and blah, 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 and start speaking. You don't. Sit at the table, listen to what other people are saying. If you have something to say, say it, be direct, and that's it. The other thing is, why do we feel the need as women to explain our why? Come in and say, hi, I have a project. I need $5 million and and 20 people to support it. And that's it. You don't need to explain the why. If somebody needs for you to elaborate, they'll ask you the why. So I think there's advice after advice that happens that we need to start thinking through and saying, does this really make sense? Is this something that's applicable from one gender to the next, from one race to the next? And, and does it make sense for us to start saying this and giving these advice to all women? Because sometimes it backfires and it affects women's careers in a negative way.
1: I certainly think that there's a piece in there I want to pull out, which is around using the language of power, which is I want $5 million and and 20 people. Why? Because it's going to help us achieve our strategic and financial goals, specifically bang, bang, bang. That is good advice. Your advice there, Amal, know the business really really important there's this saying and I can't remember who said it i'll be as happy when there are as many incompetent women leading organizations as there are incompetent men and that's not a slash at men but that is that is a thing of saying stop catapulting women into crucible positions and not preparing them for it but also let's help men get better let's recruit better let's recruit for talent and capability rather than confidence and charisma and you know we've got this i think we Still, as a society, have a relatively one or two dimensional view of leadership, confident and charismatic. And that's just not enough. It's not good enough for anyone. But yeah, pull a seat up the table, but know your business and know your stuff and know your role in taking the business where it has to be taken. And
2: I think for the leaders who are listening, my question to you, and maybe this is a challenge for you, would be if you feel that a woman is being assertive or aggressive, or an angry woman, my question is, why do you feel that way? Right? And could this be an unconscious bias? And I ask this question all the time, right? Take a moment, step back. You know, is she really on point? Does she know her business? She making you uncomfortable because she knows more than you thought she knew. And is that why you're labeling her that way? Because a lot of times when men come up and they say, you know what, you need to have a conversation with this person. She's just being too much and she's aggressive. And I'm like, what has she done? What did she say? It's like, well, she came in and she asked for this and this and this. And she said that. And I'm like, well, OK, what is the problem? Even if you are in a position of power, if you're in a position where you are approached about somebody being aggressive or a woman being aggressive or assertive or whatever the, the language that's used is, I think. don't be afraid to check the person and check their bias.
1: So my advice to build on that, every single one of us holds mindsets about women, power and leadership. And as a leader, I want you to examine and understand your mindset about women, power and leadership, and then work out how you might disrupt or interrupt yourself or that mindset before you take action, because actions have consequences. I think we have got the nucleus here for so many other conversations which are going to branch off. So I I think this is a heads up, listeners. Season four, you're going to hear more from Amal. Or you can see and experience the wisdom that Amal brings when you join A Career That Soars, which is a very psychologically safe environment for women to learn, connect and have a career that soars. Amal, we could, as I always say, talk for hours, but I want to come back to what you said about investing and women investing in themselves and prioritising themselves. If there is a woman listening saying, "Oh, look, I don't know," it's uh, what what what's your what's your advice, your practical advice for her to put herself first. And why?
2: Career advancement and career development don't happen overnight. It takes work, it takes consistency, and it takes perseverance. And before anybody invests in you, you have to invest in yourself. You have to show that you are interested in yourself before anybody else takes an interest in you. Who is going to love you more than you? Who is going to care about your future and where you want to go with your future than you? Prove to yourself that you're important, that you are worth it, and put in the time consistency is not easy. You are asking a woman who does not work out because I cannot. I would rather eat fish, lettuce, and water every day so that I don't have to work out. Be selfish because career development and career advancement Does not come easy. Put in the time and put in the sweat. It's like you are racing and you are training for a marathon. It is going to take time and it's going to take investment. And if you're not willing to invest in yourself, then why are you expecting other people to invest in you? And when you think about that investment, for example, like one of the most interesting things is you are willing to spend a thousand dollars on a pair of shoes. Right. However, you're not willing to spend one hundred or two hundred or three hundred dollars on a program for a whole year that is going to connect you with wonderful women who are going to give you the advice and the support and the network that you need to change the trajectory of your career. Like it is a no brainer, at least for me. I have made the choice to invest in myself and my life has changed in that time. I owe it to myself to put my money where my mouth is. I have said that I'm going to invest in Amal every year from now on because I'm not going to wait for someone else to invest in me. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to put Amal first because at the end of the day, you cannot pour from an empty cup. If what you want is development, you have to go find the resources. And when you come to your company, you have to be ready and already have the resources and you have to have the conversation with your boss and your boss's boss and your CEO when he meets you in the elevator and be ready to tell them how are you contributing to the success of your company. And at some point, you might decide that I don't want to be in corporate anymore. I'm going to go be an entrepreneur. You need to be ready with the skills and resources to do that. And you need a network of women to do that. And that's why we're here. Gold. The one piece
1: I'm going to pull out of there is you have to demonstrate that you are interested in and committed to yourself and your career because this is not a one-way street. I love that, Amal. So great. (laughs) Isn't it? An amazing, amazing potpourri of of advice and wisdom uh, in in one short hour. So listeners, you know where to get more of this. Head on over to com. We look forward to seeing you there. But I mean, Mel, that, that
2: was just fantastic. Thank you so much, Amal. I had a wonderful time. As always, thank you. And I will see you on the brighter side.
0: Thank you for downloading Lead to Soar. We so appreciate your support in the form of subscribing, rating, and reviewing the Lead to Soar podcast. We especially appreciate when you share Lead to Soar with friends and colleagues. Lead to Soar is hosted and produced by Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher. To get in touch with either, visit michelleredfern.com and melbutcher.com. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Until next time, stay focused and lead on.